0: To tell you about a friend and colleague who is a fantastic grant consultant and wonderful volunteer. I first met Allison Boyd way back in
1: 2013. <laughs> back in time.
0: She signed up for the Southern Regional Grant Conference here in Georgia and then immediately emailed asking how she could help in a volunteer role.
1: And I know you took her right up on
0: that. Oh, you know I did. <clears throat> she volunteered that whole first day as a conference room monitor. And that first impression of Allison is exactly who she is. As the principal writer for Boyd Grants, she jumps right in, helps whenever needed, and gets the job done.
1: So just so y'all know, Allison has her GPC, and she is super dedicated to advancing the grants profession. With her company, Boyd Grants, she works with nonprofits, higher education, law enforcement, and municipalities, and offers services like mentoring, training, grant development, writing and research look her up at boydgrants.com well, hello there i am kimberly hayes muga
0: and i am amanda day
1: and you're listening to
0: season four of the fundraising heyday podcast we're doing more in season four to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real-world experiences and interviews with experts in getting it done. You may hear a yall or two along the way mm-hmm. and singing and strange sound effects. Because that's and, how we roll.
1: And there's no extra charge for that. Also, everything's free anyway, so whatever it's with your welcome. judgments of our sound effects. And guess what? There is more of us to love in Season 4. we got episodes dropping every other week, all year long. Let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today.
0: Today we're exploring a topic that is guaranteed to generate smiles and rainbows everywhere.
1: You must mean fat little ponies, right? Or are we talking about Arnold Palmers with round ice cubes? Am I close? Am I close?
0: Oh, I do love a good Arnold Palmer, although it's hard to say. It is. Um, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about working with your board of directors, Kimberly. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, so
1: you must mean that smiles mask inner despair and rainbows that appear only after terrifying thunderstorms. That must be what you meant by all that, right? By all means, preach on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, if you've worked with a board or two, it, it could certainly go either way, can it? But in all seriousness, we've been spending some time lately in the podcast and in blog posts and keynote addresses and basically any other presentation we can give talking about the why of grant seeking and fundraising. Uh, because sometimes the why of something, it's important because it's so entrenched in the what you where you have to start with and where you're going and who you're working with and When you're trying to get big changes, you really need to start with the why. And having a board of directors is something that federal law mandates for all nonprofits. Like, If you want to be a nonprofit, you have to be a board of directors, have to have a board of directors, right? They have to meet, what, I think four times a year that right quarterly something like that like that um therein lies my experience with nonprofits and irs regulations um but it has to do with the your board is your fiduciary gatekeeper for the organization kind of a high level checks and balances to make sure the money is being cared for properly spent properly and all that good stuff so they're certainly they're necessary and so we've got a we know the why why are they there well because they're necessary so let's figure out how to work with them better shall we
1: yeah, we can't really change the why right now. And, and by the way, if you are new to this podcast, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, you know we love you. And if the returning listeners already know this, but if you're new, please understand that Amanda is the smart, kind, together, and giving co-host, and I'm the other one.
0: Okay? The yin and the yang of the podcast. That's right.
1: So what she's saying is that for now... Boards of directors are a necessary part of how nonprofits function, and today we're going to talk about the how of them, the how of that functionality, and not the why, because the why is because the government said so. But first, a little bit about our own experience with boards of directors or related bodies of governance. Amanda, why don't you start us off?
0: So my first experience with any type of governing body was um, when I first started work right out of college. I worked for a local government, and so I had a mayor and four council members that were elected by the city. Um, They were all at large elected, and um, that's who I ultimately would report to, right? So I had a city manager that mostly I dealt with day-to-day, but I still would have to go to council meetings and present things to them and get permission to do things, um, and so that was my first experience with that. Um, and I, for 15 years, I worked in local government and had to go, I mean, at least once a month, if not more, I was presenting because anytime a grant, you know, we would want to submit one, we'd have to get their permission to do it. Um, and what was interesting is I naively assumed they understood how the grant process worked. I'm like, they're the board, they're uh, the all knowing powerful, uh, like they should know these uh, things, Right. But the reality is when you have an elected board, they got elected because they got the most votes, not because they're the smartest in any certain category, not because they have experience in any certain things. And so I finally had to learn like, oh, they know nothing about grants. I am the expert. It's my job to explain this to them. And hopefully they start to get it right. Um, And some of them really did. But what really blew my mind is like I would go and I would present something, say, for the fire department. And I remember one of the times they were like, well, why did you decide to ask for this? And I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. The grant writer doesn't decide what we ask for the fire department. The chief tells me what he needs to get the job done. And then I try to find money to help make that happen. So if you don't like the project, you can go talk to him. Right. So like that was part of the education process for me there. Um, But that was my first experience working with any sort of boards Um, after that. I have served on a few boards myself, which is interesting being on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, My first board service was for the Grant Professional Certification Institute, which they are the governing body for the grant professional credential. So that's an exam and a credential you can earn if you've been in the grant field for multiple years Um, that one, very much a working board. We had no staff, very limited finances. So basically, uh, the board and volunteers did everything. So that was an interesting experience. Learned a lot. Um, I'm currently in year five of six on the board of the Grant Professionals Association. Um, and for the past two years, I've been serving as president. Um, this is definitely a board of a membership organization. Um, so we definitely, we do have staff. So that's been interesting for me, um, Working with an executive director, luckily he's amazing and it's, it's very easy to work with. Um, So that's my experience there. And then I've done a little bit of work with nonprofit boards as a consultant coming in, um, which I'm found is, you would think it'd be very similar to being an employee, but. There's different, it's, there's some different nuances there. Um, So I've seen some good boards in action I've also seen some not so good boards in action. So my husband works in local government. So I get all kinds of stories from him, the different agencies he's worked for too. So it's your, your um, size and style and variety and experiences may vary. (laughs) That's true. Yes,
1: that's very true. So for me, um, my board serving as a board member for me started back in the late nineties. I was on, um, a board for a uh, women's retreat center up in North Georgia. And I was on that board for about three years. And then um, I was served on and became eventually the the chair of the board for the Grant Professionals Foundation, um, which raised money to help people access uh, training and services such as conferences and other kinds of things. I am uh, nearing the end of my three-year term on the Grant Professionals Association board, um, where um, I, I served with Amanda, in terms of working with boards, my um, experience has varied along with the size of the organizations. As a senior grant writer or a senior grant manager at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta the food bank, and then as a development director at the Fraser Center, I had sort of escalating degrees of board involvement culminating in the development director position where there, it was, at the time at this organization, there wasn't like a C-suite, so director was, it was a director, then executive director. So, it started out as maybe preparing one pagers or helping gather information over the years. And then, um, for the last five years before I started my own company, it was working directly with board members, working, helping lead subcommittees with them, reporting out and working with them during uh, board meetings and, um, I learned so very much and there were wonderful experiences and learning opportunities as they say. And so I think it gives me, and I think it gives Amanda, I think we have some chops to talk about working with boards on sort of both sides of the equation. And my board work continues now with clients where a lot of times I might be working with the executive director and helping them navigate the board. Sometimes I'm stepping in and, um, um attending board meetings in different capacities. And again, there's so many nuances. Every, everything is different, but there are, there are some sort of basic elements that are a part of this relationship, whether you are on the board or whether you are an employee or a consultant working with boards of directors. So just want to put that out there before we get started.
0: Yep. So clearly we've both had some substantial experience serving on, in serving with boards or their equivalent for both nonprofits, local governments, professionals associations. So that means the advice we offer is coming from those perspectives Mm -hmm. and not corporate boards. We've never served on a foundation board or any sort of other legal entity. So let's, let's get that straight. Okay. Um, And which this is actually the first point I'd like to make about working with boards. Um, Clear and timely communication is one of the most important things you can do no matter what type side of the conference table or the zoom screen you find yourself Mm -hmm. on. Okay. So we want to make sure that we've got that open communication Um, in the work based world one that consumes us all. It's very easy to assume that staff and board members each know their roles and expectations. Kind of like what I mentioned, I just assumed council members Mm -hmm. would understand Mm -hmm. how grants work. Mm -hmm. Well, no, not heck. I didn't know what grants were until I suddenly became a grants administrator. So it, (laughs) it happens, right? Um, so assuming that people understand their roles and responsibilities in, in, in who's doing what is just a bad expectation. It's a big mistake for you to make um, and so one of the ways around this I believe is making sure that you know every you know whenever you onboard new members whether it's yearly or you know I know on election cycles sometimes it's every two or four years but whatever that process is it's a good idea to have some sort of board orientation. Um, to explain to the new board members, like, Hey, this is your role and our expectations of you. This is your, you know, this is staff's role. This is your fellow board members role. So everybody kind of understands what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, because it can be very easy. You know, I mentioned before I served on a working board if you sign up for a board and your experience with every other board you've been on is you just show up, you kind of make some executive decisions and you've got staff to carry out every whim of a decision y'all make. That's a very different board experience than if you have no staff and you're actually going to be the one, Oh, we want to do this thing. Okay. Now how many hours do you have this month to make it happen? Right. Um, And so you want to make sure you've set those expectations from the beginning. Um, And I think it's also important, one of the things I really appreciate about um, my service time on the Grant Professionals Association, um, part of our onboarding is to explain the duties of a board member. It's things like the duties of care and the, the fiduciary duties and the duties of loyalty. And, you know, how, you know, when you're here in this room making decisions for the Grant Professionals Association, it's you are making the decisions for the membership at large not going, Oh, what can this do for my side hustle? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to make sure that you're caring for that. So I think that's another thing um, just as far as setting those expectation is kind of your purpose and where your loyalty and your care lies when you're, you're sitting on that zoom call or across that board meeting. I think that's very, very helpful. And one of the things I do appreciate too about GPA, when they do the, the new member onboarding, everybody sits in the room. So I'm on my fifth year. I have heard that same speech five times it's still important as a reminder of what the purpose that you're here. And it can be very easy to be like, seriously, I've already heard this five times, but it's the whole point of you being on this board. So I, I think some things you can never hear enough. So
1: It's true. Um, I, setting those kinds of expectations and roles and responsibilities is so important, but it's one of the first things to go. A mm-hmm. lot of times when um, executive directors, small organizations or small um uh, local government staffs, whoever it may be, you're under the gun to do more, to raise more, and 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 then do everything with less like do more things with less time and less money and so this could be one of the things that gets cut because it's like oh, who's going to make the powerpoint deck when are we going to schedule this who's going to pick up the sandwiches blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but i'm just ta- well, at least now you can just do virtual sandwiches or they can bring their own damn sandwiches whatever but it's a little bit less of a logistical thing but in seriousness there's a lot of time that that could go into making sure board members understand their roles and staff members understand board members' yes. roles. And, um, but if if there's if you if you or your executive director or someone isn't doing that, I think you'll find it's going to eat up a whole lot of time later on, and you, you're probably going to find yourself in a situation with very little direction, or my personal favorite, you're going to find yourself in a situation where a board member who may or may not, I'm going to give benefit of the doubt, may not understand their role, decides that their role is being your boss, which it isn't. And so that can also create all kinds of stress. And more importantly, it doesn't get done the things that need to get done, which is build more relationships, bring in more money to serve more uh, communities or deepen your community service. So I would like to suggest I got three little things I want to trot out there and it's good for both sides of the board. So if you're thinking about, I'm building my career, I want to be on a board. I'm like, well, okay, but I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into. And uh, so rule number one, honor and understand time commitment. It's not, it's not a rule. These are more guidelines. Y'all know me and rules that we don't always get along, but honor and understand time commitment from both sides. Um, so I, um, I, as I said, I'm in my toward the end of my third year on the GPA board, and I could have run for re-election. Board members are term limits, or such that that would have been fine, and most people do that. But there's so many parts of my business and my creative life and my family life that need my attention right now, and lots of it that I chose not to run again and was real clear, you know, about why I was doing what I was going to be doing because there've been many meetings where it's been, okay, and here's 174 pages of documentation related to policies and other big decisions that we're going to be making in the board meeting, um, that's, you know, next month or two weeks away or whenever it is. And, um, That wasn't something that I felt like I can't do a good job with that anymore, given everything else that's on my plate and how much things have changed for me in the last three years. So all that to say, some of the best conversations I've had from the other side of the table when working with board members who were maybe sort of getting to that dead weight stage where You know, maybe they were chairing the fundraising committee, but maybe they missed three board meetings, (laughs) or maybe they couldn't come to the annual fundraising gala for which they were the chair because they were really busy, which I'm trying so hard not to rant now, so I won't. I'll just say those are incredibly frustrating things, but with clearer communication from the get-go about the amount of time and Checking in, and you may be saying to yourself, I write grants, I sit in a cubicle or in a corner of my kitchen right now because I can't get back to the office. What does this have to do with me? I'm going to say a lot because if you've got board members who are not clear on what they're going to be doing, even if you're not the one sitting in that board meeting, you are going to feel those effects as a grant writer. You might be tasked with, you know, increasing your goals by 30 and 40 percent because not a lot of major gift work is going on because you might might have some board members who are like, yeah, um, I don't want to ask people for money. So now I just want to micromanage the grants and the grant reports that go in and out. Ask me how I know. So you just, you just, that's not a great, great thing. And Amanda brought this up earlier, but it's worth reiteration. So point number two here, don't assume you know they what they know and vice versa. Um, as my responsibilities grew and my board involvement grew as a staff person, as a director, I employed the same techniques that i used in fundraising and grant writing which is you want to build relationships you want to build relationships a board meeting can be should be in in my perfect world is pretty straightforward you're voting things up you're voting things down i never things that are big surprises unless it's like, Hey, we got a $2 million grant from whatever. <laughs> Those are good surprises, but like big structural change surprises, never, never a good thing. I became starting at the food bank, the director there at that time, um, he would joke with me a little, cause he'd see me sometimes, um, if there were board members that were visiting and I, you know, they were maybe involved in a foundation or a grant or something I was working on. I would, um, Talk to them, and then as they were leaving, if I was gonna make a point, I would I would offer to walk them out to their car, and I would keep talking. I'd be like, "Oh, and by the way, and this is so great, and I hope you <laughs> have a great day." And da 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 because I'm like <laughs> sealing the deal. If I'm wanting them to go to or advocate for something that I'm I know is coming up for a board meeting, I was that person. It was okay and my organization that I did that and given the things that I was tasked with doing I would have probably done it anyway but my point is um <sighs> ongoing communication works just as efficiently for working with board members as it does for when you're cultivating a foundation and you stay in touch mm-hmm. if you can not all foundations will do that, but the ones that have a staff and foster that communication, you would really not be uh, firing on all cylinders if the only time you reached out to them is when you sent them, you know, their you you press submit to the online portal asking for money, right? Well, it's the same thing. Yep. You know, if you want to have friends, <laughs> you might want to you might want to spend time with them <laughs> or call and check in on them. It's the same kind of thing, but if there are issues and i you know i could be talking also about a form of 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 lobbying I, but it's all the it's the point is building rapport and explaining here's why we need to move this event here's why i need you to help me find some more people this thing's coming up and there's a vote could, would you be willing to talk about how uh how useful you thought the training was these are the kinds of things that i would talk about do you mm-hmm. think you could invite someone do you think you could get a meeting with And so then in the board meeting itself, it might be starting out with, here's a development report and here's some thank you letters for board members to sign with a little index card saying what they should write on there. Do you see what I'm saying? It was like setting the stage. And um, I also would recommend finally to flex your communication style because you can. Um, I guess I would liken this to, let's say... In Atlanta, you know, we have plenty of those like zebra style crosswalks, right? Where they have the little blinking red light where allegedly when the light is blinking and it's not a a traffic light, allegedly, (laughs) allegedly everyone will stop and allow you to cross. (laughs) Well, you have the right of way, right? Your commute, that is your style. That is your time. That is your moment to cross the street when that light's blinking. But if I set foot in that and here comes like a big uh, Mack truck or a big tow truck. And it's clear that they're not slowing down. I have every right to cross, but the point is that truck driver, for whatever reason is not paying attention to me. And if I exercise my full rights within the law, I will probably be squashed like a bug. So (laughs) it's like, I would liken that a less violent version of that to communication style. I prefer that people be straight up with me and let me know in advance and answer my questions and I'll answer theirs and face to face is actually best. But but if there's someone who only communicates through emails or only wants to be on a phone call, I'm going to flex my style to that board member's preference because I can, because I'm not going to curl up and die if I have to do it. And because what I want is their ear and their advice, or I want them to take action. So I'm just popping Uh, that out there.
0: And it goes back to what you said about building relationships and what better way to build a relationship is to communicate the way that the other person prefers. They're going to be much more willing to work with you because you're bending for them, right?
1: Yeah. And it costs nothing. Exactly. And if you're like, but I'm introvert, I'm like, yeah, you know what? So am I. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not smelling what you're cooking. Um, There are ways, there are ways to, they're just, there are ways to work around it. And um, if it's one-on-one, it's actually a lot less intimidating than having to stumble through having three or four people questioning you at the same time in an open board meeting. If Mm -hmm. you set the stage, I mean it's just setting the stage, like Amanda said, making sure people understand how grants work, how sponsorships work, all these other things. Just if you are not that executive director or development director or chief development officer, you're writing grants, maybe you can just offer to put together a one-pager on how grants work if there's some drama on the board about, well, why can't we just get a... I don't know why I'm talking like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> well, now I'll say, why can't What's, we just get a grant right away for that? What's the problem? <laughs> you just have her write a letter. That's, you know, that's that was really bad. I don't know where that came from. If you um, start
0: breaking into a boy, you're about as sharp as a bowling ball, I'm going to think you're all bowling
1: ball. <laughs> <Shop> <laughs> as a bowling ball. But well, anyway, just... You, well, and you I can you, you can contribute.
0: Oh, you can. Well, and I, what's interesting is so um, you'd mentioned you know reading your 175 pages of your board packet. Like said, you it's your it's responsibility. You. It's lot, right? It number. is. It is. Um, so our council at our council meetings, councils would get packets before, and I mean they met three times a month, and yeah. their packets could be anywhere from fifty to 100 pages each time, right? And so a couple of things I did to try to make sure that they read my stuff is. Because I could with grants, it I didn't need to spend ten pages giving every finer point. It basically was like, here's who the funder is, here's what they will pay for, what they won't pay for, what we're going for, and how much it's going to cost. So like within two pages or less, I could explain that to them. I also learned that there there were some council members who didn't always read all the things. Right. So what I started oh, doing, girl, I'm shocked. What? I know. What? Shocking. Shocking. I have to go sit down. <laughs>
1: Y'all, the podcast is over. I got to go rest and
0: recover. See ya. Thanks for listening. So I started sending a quick email a day or two before the council uh-huh. meeting, saying, "Hey, if you haven't had a chance to read your packet, here's the grant stuff that's in there. If you have any questions, please call me." And <laughs> I loved—I had one or two council members who would, instead of in a, instead of in the public meeting, going, "Well, what about this?" Yep. they would say, "Hey, help me understand this better." So by the time we got to the meeting, they understood it, and they're like, "So we understand blah blah blah." And I could just say, "That's correct." There still was the one, though, that would always be like, well, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? And you can't. Because an you're open... an idiot
1: and you didn't read your stuff. See, I told you I was the other one in this. In this
0: <laughs> you thing. can't God. say that to your bosses at an open public meeting. No, no, no. And no. so you just have to say what questions can I answer? And you just you also something I will tell you working in lo- local government taught me to get a, a thicker skin in that regard. Because let me tell you, one of my first council meetings, where I got reamed for nothing that was my my fault. Like I left that meeting crying. And one oh. of the fire guys followed me out. And he was I'm like, it's it's fine. I'll be okay. And he was like, Oh, bless your heart. Um, but now I'm just like, whatever, you know, (laughs) not even whatever, but I'm like, what questions can I answer for you? Because this is what this department would like to have done. If you don't like that, then fine, we can do something else. And I just I finally learned not to take it personally, because usually, it was not me, it was them flexing to be seen all important on sitting on top of that dais looking down at me. And I just, I don't agree with it. And I don't like it. But I also realized, you know what, I can either make myself sad about this or I can just be like, then what do you want to do? And my li- it just made my job and my life a lot easier. I don't, please don't think this happened on the regular. It did not. I've worked with some amazing elected officials who love their community and love the grant work we did. But there's always one or two that they just like to flex a little bit of their power sometimes. And I was just not here for that. So I don't can't let them upset me anymore.
1: Something else that I've tried with that, because it, it, It's sad, but it's true. And if you if you are a woman, or maybe you're a person of color, or you're someone of differing abilities, and you are can feel it, it might be easy to feel and be treated as an outsider in a lot of more traditional boards, which are mainly composed of middle aged and older white people. Certainly in the Atlanta area, boards I have known um, don't. You can at me if you want, but it's the truth. is there are going to be some people who are not on that board because they they want to help out and do good they're on the oh. board I should. I am going to resume? say, this. you know, I my dad's a retired priest, right? I grew up in the church. I actually, we grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and then he became Episcopal, which is not the point of this podcast. But the point is to say some of the nicest people in the world I've ever met have been people who were um, giving members of their congregation, wanting to do good, wanting to treat others as they would like to be treated. But some of the meanest, power-hungry people have also been church members, and I think. This was back when I was a little girl, and I think it had something to do with women not really being leaders in the workplace, and they were thwarted into positions over who controls the potluck dinner. And I'm telling you, there were like some power-hungry people that probably could have (laughs) run – Corporate probably could have just whipped whole um, local governments into shape, and they were fussing about those kinds of things. All that to say, sometimes people get into positions because they feel insecure. They're flexing their power, just like Amanda said. I've had people start, you know, it's like, well, why is it on this date, or why are you moving this event, and we can't possibly do it that day, and why didn't I hear about it? And I have also said, well, let's go through it point by point, and then I've ended with. You know, it sounds like I may not be giving you the information in the right format for you. Now, I we do have the packets, and I do an email. Would it be better if um, I gave you a call next time before uh-huh. the meeting? I'm, and I'm just like, yeah. I mean, and I'm but I'm being so nice, and yep. sitting there with my little development lady stuff and my pearls. But I'm also calling out in that meeting, reiterating, y'all. Here's how you get the information. Is there another way? To, and I'm also pointing out because I am savage and petty. I'm like, huh? So you don't read your emails and you don't respond <laughs> to board packets and you're just blowing steam. Let's share with the group. So I'm just saying, you can, you know, you can yeah. pop, you can, you can go right back at it. But it's generally, Amanda's right. It's not at you if it happens to you, but it can feel like that. Mm-hmm. But I think, as and as I got older and gained more confidence and experience, it's like, welcome to me, standing my ground firmly and without emotion. And it's like, I guess maybe I could send over an edible arrangement in the shape of the key points of the board. Or <laughs> um, could maybe something in crayon would be a little more near, you know, it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just.
0: I think of a billboard ad. Yeah. out to know, work every day.
1: <laughs> maybe a video well, using words of only one syllable, maybe. we digress. We digress. We
0: well, uh, so as a current and a past board chair, um, one of the things I've learned, we've already talked about the importance of communication, obviously time management. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, but something I'm learning more and more about the importance of, which we're going to talk about next, is ongoing succession planning and recruitment of new board members. Okay. Um, So my board experience has certainly challenged and changed me for the good. Um, And I've made some great friends, and I've helped accomplish positive things along the way. She has, Um, y'all. But um, let me tell you, when you really work, there was – I was on one board. I won't name which one, but like you talked about, you know, some people show up and really do the work. There was a group of us that we finally dubbed ourselves the Get Crap Done Committee because (laughs) – (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, Amanda! I don't even think I've ever heard you say the word "crap" before, y'all. You know, Amanda that's, doesn't cuss. Let's just celebrate this moment. That was a four-letter word, girl. Get on with that's your the cussing. One I will
0: say, <laughs> yes, um, but that, because those were the people I could call when I was serving, you know, lead on some things. I know if I asked them and they said yes, I knew it was going to get done. Where other people, eh, sometimes it got done, not always. So yeah, we were there were about five of us that we just or the get crap done committee and I love that. Butts to get it done. So those you
1: all know, p- know what I would call us so we're I mean,
0: <laughs> Those are the people you want to recruit on your board is what I'm saying, right? Um, because ultimately a board member what you want to do is ser- you know, term and serve yourself out of a job. You want to leave things better so other people can come behind and take things in even better directions than you even dreamed of, those kinds of things. So term limits help keep things fresh. While both preserving that institutional knowledge, you know, keep, you know, so you've got, it's nice that, you know, if you've got, for, for instance, I think this is a great way. The Grant Professionals Association, we have 11 board members um, and every three year, no, every year, a th- about a third are up for either re-election or they've termed out. We can mm-hmm. each serve three years in one term and you can serve a max of two years consecutively. Um, so every year we potentially are adding new people to the board and other people are, you know, either they've termed out or maybe like Kimberly, who's decided she's not running for a second term. Um, and so it helps continue to bring mm-hmm. fresh um, eyes on things, fresh perspectives. Um, and but you're not turning everybody over at once. So you're not starting from scratch every right. time. Going, right. How do we when do we meet? And when do we when do we do this? <laughs> what um, do we do
1: here again? <laughs> yes.
0: And of course having having quality staff helps with that institutional oh, yeah. knowledge as well. Um and so uh, yeah I'm I'm definitely not one for, you know, oh they've been on there forever. We need to keep them because they know so much. You can still call them and say, "Hey, quick question." You know, yeah, I just just because someone's not a board member anymore doesn't mean you've lost them. They may still volunteer for you or they may still just be available when you have questions to call. Uh, I'm definitely a big proponent of term limits. Um, but it's also it, you know, sometimes you, you're a board member. And if people appreciate the work you're doing, they may continue to ask you to keep saying after a while you you're going to get burnt out, right? <laughs> That's and so why we have term
1: limits. Yes, yeah,
0: you're, you're going to want to, you know, step away and have some downtime. Like I've, I've already told Kimberly, I'm I mean, you're five or six. I'm going to serve all my time and I'm going to do great. But the year after, I'm going to have the year of no. Um, I oh, know several people like have that. Tw- 2017
1: this. was my year of saying no. It was fabulous. I may bring it back soon. I yes. don't know. That was great. I'm, great. I'm definitely
0: a yes sayer and oh, I always want to jump in and help. Oh, but, wait, but I need to, <laughs> wait, a little time. Not but you're going to you're do gonna that. say yes to the
1: podcast, though. Oh, right? The
0: podcast is an infinite yes. Oh, Let's oh, be clear on that.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, girl, take care of yourself. And I'm like,
0: wait, no. <laughs> no. No extras. No extras outside of work in the podcast in my family. How's that? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, this is it's, it's it's always yes to good fun things Yay! in the podcast is that. So anyway, so yes, secession so planning. And part of that too is when you're getting it's not just term limits, but also making sure when you bring new people on the board that they're filling holes left behind, right? I don't know about you, every board I've served on, the hardest position to fill is the treasurer. Nobody wants to be treasurer. And if that's your jam, God bless you. I want you on my board every time because (laughs) – I, I have served as treasurer before just no, because ma'am. no one else would do it. Would I did me. it for one year, <laughs> and I after that I was like, please, for the love, let's find somebody else to do know, this. Right?
1: Amanda just doesn't even ask me because she knows I'll be like, no,
0: Harold passed. But that's it is a that at least the particular boards I've served on that's been a hard one to fill. Harder than president. It's it's mm-hmm. to fill because it's 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 the weight of the money is a big deal, right? So. Um, you know, and sometimes you've got people that aren't good at public speaking, but because of the role, they may have to, like at our conference, I've got to speak in front of the a thousand people to show up. If I can't do that, that's a little Which difficult. she
1: can, you no, know she can't. This is really But
0: just you know, example. some people can't. And so if you've got a board, if you've got a whole boardroom full of <laughs> nobody who wants to speak in front of crowds. That's not good. I would
1: say, more importantly, if you have a board full of people who have no desire in helping open doors and make connections to raising funds or building new relationships,
0: you got a problem. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So So. I'm feeling a song and I don't want to violate copyright, but it's, I don't, this, I'm going way back to the talking heads. Um, And, I don't know if Amanda even, Amanda has this quiz. I know the equipment. talking
0: head. So I'm like, I know
1: so this. It's like, doon, D-dun-dun-dun. doon, And then he goes, you may ask yourself, where is my beauty? How did I get here? Letting the days go. by. Well, you may ask yourself. Okay. So don't sue us. Don't sue us. We're just having fun for educational purposes only. Copyright. So you may ask yourself, Why should I be concerned with these policies and procedures? You may ask yourself, where are all these goals and deadlines I have to meet? No, seriously. You may be saying, what is the, I am not, this board thing, y'all, that's too much work. That's too much trouble. I'm not on it. I'm not interested. I got to fill my grant writing bucket. I got to fill my fundraising revenue. I've got people to supervise and people to see and et cetera, et cetera. But I would argue that whatever your job title is or whatever your consulting role is, you actually do have a stake in supporting and sustaining a healthy, thriving board of directors. I've worked with board members who have opened doors to bold new partnerships, new sources of revenue. Uh, they've contributed to successful site visits for multi year grants. They've sold out fundraisers and pushed auctions to new highs, especially after I made sure that their favorite wine was available. But that's another story. <laughs> In short, I've worked together with a lot of great, passionate board members that have really helped further nonprofit missions. I just want to say that. But I've also worked with board members who micromanage, were rude and overbearing, refused to reach out to anyone. I worked with someone who was a wealth manager in a philanthropic sector of an institution who said, well, I am never going to ask any of my clients or tell them anything about what I'm doing here. And I thought, it's not like we're like cooking meth in the back room here. It's like you're on the board Wouldn't you want to be passionate about that or discuss your own philanthropic involvement and how they may want to consider? I was astounded at that and remain astounded to this day, but I've moved on. Um, I guess I would say, guess which way was more stressful and less productive? And that would be the second way of sort of working with board members without either trying to get a better fix on the situation, get the executive director to back me up or also help find and recruit new board members from the community to kind of change the game. So I guess I would say that putting time and effort into thoughtful recruiting, training and consensus building was worth every second that I spent on it and every time that I have just hoped something would go through or hope something that would go my way without working on it, it's just it's rarely it's rarely gone that way
0: yeah Um, well and going back to recruiting and building up the right boards one thing I definitely will say that if your board is made up of people who look just like you think just like you share the exact same opinions Hmm. your board's probably not going to be the most effective board not not probably your board is not going to be a very effective board If, if especially if your job is to to grow and to change, make changes happen positively, um, and so I think you definitely need, when it comes to recruitment, you need to work on recruiting a plethora of individuals that help bring differences of all kinds of things to your your board leadership. Yes. And here's here's
1: really. a little something: if you if you um, are serving communities that, well, actually every community somehow involves people, whether it's environmental, whether it's animal rights people are involved, um, if you are uh, a geographically fo- neighborhood-based or regional-based, if you don't have people on your board that represent the people that you serve or represent the communities that you serve in significant ways, uh, you are probably working with a fossilized structure, which is great if you're a museum of natural history, but not good if you're trying to affect positive change in the community. That's just... What I'll pop in and say.
0: Yep. Um, one of the things I love, GPA um, that Kimberly and I both serve on, we recently went through a process to update our mission mm-hmm. and vision and some of those things. And um, with our new mission, I'm combining mission. mission. and, mission it's, vision mission. and it's mission. mission. it's a vision. and <laughs> a new mission. was a dream and a work plan. I love it. We talk about empowering, empowering grant professionals and those they serve and, through doing advocacy, through building community <laughs> and fostering excellence and professional practices. But what I really love, those were important things, but we also recognize that throughout everything we do, we came up with what we call some cross-cutting priorities, basically some things that no matter what it is we're working on, we need to focus on. Um, and there were four, which they are ethical standards, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Number three, the, uh, having a fiscal responsibility, um and four was a responsible transparency um uh, because we are a mem- membership organization making sure we're transparent in the work that we're doing right so i love that you know even with even with something i hate say simple but something that's you know every organization has a mission um but sometimes part of that process of realizing hey we need to reshape and we need to change some things maybe it may be time to kind of dust that old one off and make sure your mission is still on point and make sure you're covering some of these things. And I, I really like that we're trying to make sure through all the work we're doing, we're looking at through an, in a lens of, um, of ethical standards of making yeah. sure DEI is included and all that good stuff. So um, I just really like that. Um, and uh, one last thing too, I want to talk about with board work is transparency, um, um, specifically conflicts of interest. Um, A long time ago, if you would have said conflict of interest to me, I would have thought, oh, someone's in trouble. They did something Mm -hmm. wrong. That's a bad, naughty thing.
1: When I was a little girl, we used to say a woo-woo. And that was when (laughs) someone did something. It was like a woo-woo, conflict of interest, a woo-woo.
0: Yeah, but – the reality is, it's not right. We are all people that are involved in usually multiple things, right? And so, <laughs> when you a conflict of interest is only bad if you don't point out, "Hey, I have this conflict," right?
1: And don't address it when the time's right.
0: Absolutely. So, again, Kimberly and I boasted on the GPA board. Yep. If the board was going to make a decision about whether they thought podcasting was a good or a bad thing in, in our world, well, Kimberly and I are probably going to go, um, we have a podcast. So clearly, we feel strongly about this. But if we're conflict, supposed to be we, talking about it, yes, if we're supposed to be talking about it through the lens of what GPA thinks is most important, then we may need to – not we may need to. We probably we need it. to step aside. Um, and so – I think it's important to understand where those conflicts are. And I love our GPA. In fact, I pulled up our most recent board meeting agenda because I love two things are at the top of every board agenda we have. Um, The first one is our norms. Um, And it talks about we're going to follow these common rules of courtesy, including active listening, civil participation, acknowledging other people's ideas, even if they're controversial, you know, seeking consensus, things like avoiding sarcasm. Um, that's and then a hard one next, for
1: me, but I do my best.
0: <laughs> you do excellent at it. Um, <laughs> the other is our conflict of interest procedure. And so what we've got is, so when an item comes up, if you've got a conflict, you say, Hey, this is my potential conflict. And then the rest of the board gets to decide, yeah, that either one, that's a major conflict. You need to leave the room and not even participate in this at all. The other could be, you know, we don't want you to vote, but we would appreciate your insights. So we, we want you to stay and participate in the discussion, but you don't get a vote in the matter. And the other is, yeah, that's not a conflict. Like I think um, you had one of these recently where it was like somebody, you wrote a journal article with eons ago. We were trying to decide if they're going to be a business community partner. And so yeah. you just were like, I just Hey, just said, hey. Upon the time I wrote an article with her. And everybody's like, we appreciate you telling us that, but that really hasn't, you, you don't have a business relationship with no. her. That was so long. That was like 10 years ago. No, that's not a conflict. You can stay. Um, but that just shows you how the process can work. Um, and I, I really like how that's always at the front page. So if anybody forgets how any of these things are supposed to go, it's right there. Because I mean, I've heard some horror stories of board like people coming across the table, cussing people out. And Kimberly may joke on the show that she's, you know, a cuss bucket, but the reality is she's also very kind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I <laughs> am a cuss bucket.
0: <laughs> but you don't come, you don't do that to people in board meetings, right? Only You're in my civil. head. In your head. We keep it inside. Um, but all that to say, it's just, I, I have heard some horror stories of past yeah. boards and places and things. And I'm not and here I for just, it. No. And so I'm very glad to, so far in my career, have said on boards that have been very have been civil at least if not much better than that. So anyway, so that's my take on transparency and being kind and all that good <laughs> stuff and whether you're on a board or you have to work with the board, hopefully all those things are going on. Yeah.
1: That is my hope as well and um the reason we were hammering so hard on gpa and their um their the way they run their board meetings is because i think it's a really good example it's Mm -hmm. you know the words the timing is not going to fit everybody but having or suggesting hey maybe we want to consider doing it this way to sort of keep those keep keep the 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 discourse and the, um, opinions and the procedures and policies, keep everything moving, but keep it moving in a civil way because ultimately the goal should be to better serve the communities, um, that the, the, the nonprofit agency is involved in. So, um, as we're wrapping up, I have some resources to share about working with boards, but I'm going to just mention them briefly because, as you may know, with each episode of our podcast, we also write a blog post that sort of goes along with the podcast, offers a different take or has some more information. And um, that blog post comes out through our season sponsor, DH Leonard Consulting. And so what I'm going to do is just hit some highlights and just know that if you are um, following our podcast and if you are following DHLeonardConsulting.com and you're subscribed to their newsletter, you can get it there or you can go on their website and then after it is published there, we link to it on our website, which is fundraisinghayday.com. So with that out of the way, I just want to mention quickly um, four different uh, things to sort of give you more information, a deeper dive about um, working with boards. Um, There's a really great article in the summer 2021 issue of the Stanford Social Innovation Review called Decolonizing Your Board or Decolonize Your Board by Natalie Walrond, W-A-L-R-O-N-D. This article may be behind their subscription wall, and if it is, I apologize, but... If you do not have a subscription or cannot afford a subscription, you may want to check with your local public library because they may have a subscription to this um, or um, there may be if you work in a large organization nonprofit they may sub- someone there may subscribe to it i would uh, um i'd advise checking it out i just finished reading a really fascinating and well done book called collecting courage it's a collection of essays by black fundraisers that address many different issues that they've experienced working in american and international philanthropy and it includes Um, sections on working with boards of directors, and I highly recommend it. It's called Collecting Courage. Crystal Cherry, one of the authors of of, uh, the Collecting Courage anthology, is Atlanta-based and has fantastic board experience and also has um, some great resources on her website called The Board Pro. PRO.com, including blog posts where she offers um, training tips and other services. Um, Joan Gary, G-A-R-R-Y, um, her, her um, podcast is called Nonprofits Are Messy, and she is a noted leader on board development and working with boards. And finally, one of our guests, that's actually number five if you're keeping track, but I never said math was my strong point. Um, (laughs) Mark Pittman, um, one of our guests in uh, seasons gone by, um, has great resources on his website. It's the Concord Leadership Group and it's uh, concordleadershipgroup.com. So there you have it. And check out the blog post for more details.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Joan Gary's uh, podcast, Nonprofits Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. Messy um so she's got a lot of great resources but um there you have it folks a relatively rant-free episode about Mm, boards
1: yeah okay maybe
0: we we really could have gone
1: well and some musical interludes so i feel like all in all you (coughs) know
0: yeah um including ways to work with boards um so like so many things in life it takes work effort listening understanding and education to help make it all happen, but crafting a true and equal partnership ultimately benefits us all. So whether this helps you work better with the boards you have to be a better board member, maybe you want to send this podcast to a board member for them to listen to, to help relationships, whatever you got to do. Maybe they'd um, like to
1: call me directly. Come on, <laughs> come on. I'll talk to you.
0: Oh, So um, either way, Thanks for listening with us. And uh, hopefully you've learned a thing or two about boards you didn't already know.
1: And again, we couldn't do this without you. and We wouldn't do it without you. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast now in its fourth season, which is just amazing to me. and And I'm just deeply grateful. If you... Would consider or actually just go on and leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us spread the word and it gets the podcast up in front of potential new listeners. And that's what we um, we want. We want to offer this free education and entertainment mostly um, to as many people as we can. We're honored that you chose to spend time with us, and we love for this. Podcast to be part of your professional development lineup.
0: Thank you again to our season four sponsor, DH Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to download their latest free resources today. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your time and your support. Please join us in two weeks for our next show. If you're interested in starting your own nonprofit,
1: or if you know someone who is,
0: And this episode's for you.
1: Mm, is it ever?
0: See you then, friends. Bye.